It has been brought to our attention that depending on the platform that you listen to, you can no longer hear some of our previous episodes. Some of our favorite episodes. Some of the ones where people would reach out and say, hey, listen, I can't believe that you talked to insert whatever name here. And honestly, it makes us a little sad that you can't go back in time and have a listen because the stories were really incredible. We reference a lot of times, oh, we had a chance to talk with so-and-so in the past. And if you can't go back, then it's kind of just, oh. So we wanted to bring some of those guests, some of those former guests back into the spotlight. We're going to call it like a, a rerun, I think. A Why Me Project rerun. Do you remember those? I do. Back in the day, or you used to throw the tape into the VCR and <laughs> oh, we're dating ourselves. We are, but uh, a rerun was the opportunity to rewatch one of your favorite episodes. Now everything's so accessible. Well, we thought it was. Yeah, exactly. So without further ado... Here's your Why Me Project rerun. The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. This week is another interesting week. If you look back to episode five, we had uh, Brittany Delamora. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, we had a lot of requests for our guest this week. And I am so excited to speak with her today because of the things that she's doing, where she's been, and just her story. It has essentially taken one full year, and we do want to say that there is a little, you know, viewer discretion is advised, just because there are some topics that might not be safe for everybody. Yeah, exactly. But they're important topics to talk about and to discuss, and so hopefully the more we talk about it, then the more we can bring to light the social issues, and we can really meaningfully help people. Please welcome Annie Lobear. How are you? I'm well. How are you guys doing? We're doing good, thank you. We're excited to have you on the show today. Yay! I know it's cold up where you are, but it's going to warm up soon. Uh, <laughs> Lord, We're Lord willing. Um, <laughs> we uh, we like to ask this skill testing question because we just never know where it's going to go. Annie, who are you, and where did you come from? Well, I'm Annie Lobear. I am originally from Minnesota. And I live in Las Vegas now, and the reason why I moved here was to actually move here with my boyfriend, and I did not realize it at the time, but he was a famous sex trafficker, a.k.a. pimp, and the night that I moved here, I got beat down and told that he was going to be my boss and I was going to pay him, and if I tried to leave, I would have died. So there's a story behind that story. But the reason why I'm in Vegas now is I believe wherever we put our feet, where we've had the most injustice done to us, we have the feet of Jesus, and we can stomp on that old ground and turn it into good. So before we get to the story behind the story, what was life like growing up in Minnesota? You know, typically in Minnesota, it's it's a good life. Um, in fact, I have seen articles and percentages of Americans that vote on Minnesota as one of the safest places to live and one of the top places to live, believe it or not. And I would have argued with you as a little girl because all I remember from being a young little lady, naive, open into the brand new world of Minneapolis, was my father was a raging anger, alcoholic, ex-alcoholic, and did not treat our family like my neighbors did or my school friends. And I just remember my dad hitting my mother in front of us kids, yelling at her, hitting us. 
and giving us very strict disciplinary actions like in, in fact, if I dropped a plate that broke in the kitchen, he would literally say, you're going to go in the corner for two hours. If I did anything that he didn't like, this is how he treated us. And for me, it was abnormal because I played with other kids in the neighborhood, and I didn't see their fathers treating them this way. At a very young age, I was very afraid of my father. I would hide in my closet from him under my bed. I would hear him coming up the stairs, and I would hear his voice bellowing through the house, and it would freak me out. Like, I literally didn't realize it at the time that I actually was developing complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And I believe that my brothers and my sister as well were developing that. My mom had already had it. She had been living with him for years already, so she was an abused wife. We lived this way until I graduated from high school. And in fact, when I was very young, I had something happen to me with some next-door neighbors across the street that I actually got exposed to pornography at a young age and coerced in some situations when I was eight, nine years old. And I carried that guilt and that fear that my parents would find out all the way through my teen years into my 20s. I had this massive fear that if they found out, they would not love me anymore. And there was a lot of guilt and shame. And so when I ended up uh, getting into my high school years, I was very promiscuous, dating different guys. I fell in love with one guy, and he basically talked me into giving my virginity to him. And he, at the time, was seeing three of my girlfriends, cheated on me, and my heart was completely broken in two. And by the time I left high school, I was embittered towards men, embittered. I thought, I'm going to get back all the things that were stolen from me. And when you have your virginity taken from you and you gave it as a gift, it still feels like you've lost something very, very sacred and special. And especially since I was raised in a Christian home, it wasn't super strict, but it was something that I had to realize that, you know, religion did not save me. I didn't really know who Jesus was when I was younger. So even though I did pray to him, and I did ask him to show up at different times in my life, I was still not sure if God even loved me because of the way my father treated us. And that's really important, I think, growing up as a child, is that we know that our parents love us, and especially our fathers. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how important is it to have that father figure in the life of a child, boy or girl? That's so important. I think that this is our core being, that we have an identity. And our identity is often, you know, made and formed as a child, obviously, but with our parents and who is our caregiver. If our parents aren't there, who is our caregiver? And are they healthy role models? And are they there for us emotionally, spiritually, and mentally? Are they there? And even physically, are they there to hug us? Are they there to guide us? Are they there on our ups and our downs? And honestly, to be real with both of you, I grew up very jaded, in my teen years, I totally rebelled. And I was like, huh, well, this happened to me, so I'm going to do this now. It didn't seem fair. In other words, I asked the question, why me, God? Why? Why do I have to feel with this pain? Why can't I have new clothes growing up? Why can't I look pretty? Why can't I be loved? What is wrong with me? Your self-identity, when it's not formed properly, and you live in fear, and you're, de and you're developed in this complex trauma space, your brain does not develop, even scientifically they've proven, it's a PTSD brain. It's not normal. 
you're hypervigilant, you have anxiety, you're, you're stressed all the time, you're, you're worried what people think, you, and so you just go into this other place where you feel safe, which is, it was me controlling men, promiscuity. And, and if I could get people to love me by what I look like and what I was wearing and the money that I had and the car that I drove and the career that I was going for, that was my security at that point. And that's what happened to me, and that's how I got pulled into sex trafficking. I was very vulnerable. I should have been a runaway, but I was afraid to run away because I knew my dad would probably really be angry, mm. and I stayed until I graduated high school. And by the time I left, I got three jobs, and I was going out to the nightclubs with my girlfriend with a fake ID, 18 years old, drinking illegally. And these men walked up to a set of bar one night, bought us drinks, and gave us a bunch of compliments, started dating one of my girlfriends. I didn't realize that at the time, and neither did she, but these guys were undercover sex traffickers. And back then, there was no word for this. It was, it was 1987, 88. Uh, and now we've come a long way just with, I think, more of the awareness that it can happen to literally anybody, regardless of their yes. start. Absolutely. I wasn't a runaway. I wasn't your typical case. I, I am one of the cases, but I'm not a typical trafficking case. However, more and more ladies like me I'm meeting, more and more people that were normal, that that were, got coerced. But there was always, for me, Johnny and Holly, there's a an issue. Every lady I've met and man I've met that have gotten into this industry, that got tricked into it, there was always a missing piece, like a missing link of love. If we don't have that self-identifying piece of knowing who we are and what our purpose is of love, we will fail. You were in the industry for how long? I was in the industry for approximately 16 years off and on, 11 years full-time, and I got out of the industry in 98 the first time, but I got back into it for a year and a half uh, towards 2002-2003, and I overdosed in 2003 on August 2nd, and that's when I fully surrendered my life to Jesus. And he just, like, came in my life and just swept me off my feet like a knight in shining armor, I swear to you. That's what the experience felt like. See, when you're done with being done with the dumb, <laughs> with the dumb-dumb of your life, I mean, you literally have this wake-up call inside of your soul, inside of your spirit, inside of your heart, and the light bulb goes off in your mind, and all of a sudden you realize, I could have died. I'm done, and you know that you know that you've tried the but the bad fruit, and the fruit's no good, and it's rotten, and all it does is bring death to you. The graveyard doesn't look appealing anymore. It's disgusting, and now you can smell the preached smell of your old life. You can see the grave clothes. You can see the other bodies trying to come out of the grave to pull you back, and you see it for what it really is, and you see the demonic, and then you see the other side that, wait a second, God is real. God saved my life. Jesus came to die for me. The Holy Spirit is real. It's like you just, you wake up and there's this beautiful awakening to a world you've never experienced. And I try to describe this life to others that have never experienced it as a, as a way of like coming into an alternative universe. Because it's something that you can't fully see until you're fully done with that old life. See, the access key to that new life is surrendering that old and deciding, I'm done with it completely. It is not serving me any good to be in that lifestyle. How did God take you from that and create you and help you rebuild your self-identity? 
So this is where it gets so good because when I first surrendered my life, I started reading the Bible and the words became color. I, I like to describe it like literally, like you know how when Dorothy, she gets in the cyclone and she's just, everything's black and white and she's like in this storm and she all of a sudden the house lands in this new land and she opens up that door and all of a sudden everything has color. And everything that I thought was was what it was isn't what it was. It's literally like I finally figured out that there was God with me the whole time. And I think the realization that God was with me in those dark places, it basically healed my soul to this place where I could receive the love of God inside of me. And see, if your soul and your heart, your spirit's not open to God forgiving you and really believing He loved you through that junk that you just went through and through your past and everything bad that happened to you, that He actually was with you and that in that place... He knew what was going to happen to you. Jesus knew, but yet he waited for you to have a free will to choose him. That's when I believe that my identity really started to have this structure to it to where it was the rock of my salvation. It was my bottom of the well experience. And no longer was I saying, oh, why me? Why me? Now it was like, of course, this is all about him. It's not about me. And the why me is the greater purpose. It's, of course, it's about me and what happens to me because God wants to take this moment and flip it into a Romans eight twenty eight. right? Mm-hmm. He wants to take everything we've been through and turn it for his good and use it for his good as a platform, as a stepping stone, as a bridge to our old life, to other people that are stuck in that dark place to say, hey, you can come to this other side. Look at me. I'm over here, and I'm pulling people like you out. And if you could just see the truth that you are valuable, you are worth so much more than you understand. You are worth fighting for. You are more precious than rubies, so precious that the life of the Son of God died for you so you could live again. I think that for me, realizing that I was that catalyst of the choice of choosing Jesus as my Savior and really believing that he gave me everything that he died for, which is the entire earth. I mean, it says in in Matthew 5, 5, the meek will inherit the earth. That's pretty black and white, plain to understand. So if we humble ourselves under his hand, we inherit everything that he is and everything he has. How did you come up with the idea then with Hookers for Jesus? Ah, I love this one. So I love the fact that Jesus, when he was ready and he had just left the wilderness, and now the Holy Spirit, you know, he's walking on the Sea of Galilee. He gets directed to go there, and he sees these two men fishing, and he says, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. And then he goes a little further up the shoreline, and he gets two other, uh, the first four disciples were fishermen. And he, Jesus wanted to teach them that, look, what you are stuck doing in, in those nets, drop your nets and follow me. What our purposes are so much greater than we realize. And that's where I came up with the name. Actually, I was driving my car, and... I remember being called all kinds of choice names, you know, hooker, hoe, whatever you want to fill the blank in with. And I remember feeling so insulted and so burdened with those bad names that our society, our culture has learned to teach and treat women that are promiscuous or women that are wearing hardly any clothing or women that are using their looks to get what they need 
basically prostituting themselves or being sex trafficked, that those women are dirty, and they're not. The name actually has a dual meaning, but for someone redeemed, it's a hook, fish hook. And it doesn't matter where we are in our life. We take that name back for God, and we take the name hooker, and we flip it for good. And we no longer say that there were so in ourselves. We are now fishing for souls that are drowning in the wicked sea of sex trafficking. That's what we do. We lay our nets out. We say, if you're ready to come, come into the net. We'll pull you up out of the muck and the mire, and we'll set you up around the rock. Now, you have quite the whole program and everything that goes along with Hookers for Jesus with Destiny's House. Can you share a little bit about Destiny's House? So Destiny House is something that was birthed in my heart from the Holy Spirit in 2006, 2007, because I was reaching out to the women in 2005 on the Strip, and I was taking them to church and taking them to social services, taking them to DMV to get their license and helping them get places to stay. There was no places for these women and their children to lay their heads, and I felt so burdened for these poor ladies that were leaving their pimps, their traffickers, and they had nowhere to go. My old church that I used to go to, my pastors, they had an intern home, and I asked them if we could turn that intern home into a home for women. And so that's what I did. I called it Destiny House. And our first Destiny House was in Henderson, Nevada, but now our Destiny House is in Las Vegas, Nevada. We have a brand new property. Actually, it's not brand new. We've had it for five years now, so I keep saying new, but it's not. But we own this one, and it's a lot larger, and there's several buildings on the property. And ladies that are 18 and over can contact us if they want to get out of the lifestyle. It doesn't matter what part of the country they come in that they're from, and we'll even interview ladies from out of our country. We've interviewed ladies from Canada before, and ladies from England and France, but they come into our Destiny House program. It's anywhere from six months, nine months to a year. They can stay longer if they want to. So the first half year, it's just strictly healing, basically the trauma piece. And after that, we do our vocational training. We have scholarships for all the ladies that come in here. And there's hundreds of careers that they could pick from. And we also get their records cleaned up. We work with partnerships in the Las Vegas Valley. And then before they leave the house, they will either work here or they'll have a job outside of here. And we have a secondary home that we're working on that we we send the ladies to once they graduate our program and they have a normal job. They'll be living into our, our second phase housing where they will not be monitored as much and they can now uh, live in a place where they are self-sufficient. And then after that phase, they can go into phase three where they now are having their own place to live and they're just on their own and they're leaders. And destiny stands for you know, dream. They get to dream again. They get to discover who they are. They get to develop into their life purposes and then go into their life destiny as world changers. So that's what Destiny House is all about. What's the success rate of of, uh, Destiny's House? If a girl gets out of the lifestyle and she changes her life completely, I think our success rate, it's around 90 to 100%. That's amazing. (laughs) pretty high. Now, girls graduating... That's some girls don't stay a year, but we we have uh, our rate for the girls that stay a year is probably about seventy five to eighty percent. Still, that's still so incredible. It's a pretty good rate. Yeah, yeah, it is. 
Well, I love about this, too, is quite often I've, I've read stories of girls who have been, you know, caught in sex trafficking and that industry, not because they want to, and they get rescued, but then there's no place for them to go to deal with the root cause of their emotions, and they end up getting right back into it, not because they want to, because they feel like that's where they belong now. It's very common, so I, I want to share something with you. The reason why our, I could say our rates for success are great because right now we have two young ladies in our program that left our program early. Well, one graduated, actually, and she came back because she messed up and started seeing her trafficker again. She's in here for the second time, but now her healing is so much deeper. And she needed an additional time. And that's okay. We are champions of allowing the ladies, if they mess up, to come back and try again. As leaders and as Christ followers, this is what we do. We welcome them home with open arms and we give them another chance. It's very, very common. The girls, the stats say on the secular side, Melissa Farley, she's a great researcher. She was doing research before anyone was on trafficking. She's an amazing lady. Look her up. 900 to 1,000 ladies interviewed five to seven times. These young ladies go back to their old lifestyle. The thing is, there's still more work to do, right? There is. And by the way, do you know that Jesus talks about, you know, leave the 99 to go get the one. So watch this stat, you guys. You ready? Only 1% of ladies that are being sex trafficked ever get out. Really? 1%. Yes. Mm. We're here to change that. I think we are stomping on some devil territory, and we are changing stats. Because I will not rest until these stats get completely flipped around. And I will carry this torch and pass it to the next person and the next, you know, next ladies that we teach. Because I know I'm not going to live forever. But I will make sure this is a mandate of my heart, you guys. Since my heartbeat got changed on August 2nd, 2003, I knew that I knew. Jesus came to me in a dream. Now, I have a book. It's called Fallon, Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of the Savior. And in there, I talk about Jesus because he came to me. And if you guys want more information, just please look up the book online. You'll see it on Amazon. I actually saw him. He came to me in a dream and asked me to go get the girls. It was just crazy. Without speaking a word to me, he looked in my eyes and he read my mind and spoke to me in my mind. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. And when I woke up and I was in my shower and I finally realized he had spoken to me like that, I fell to my knees in worship. I was like, I can't believe it. I actually saw his face and heard him give me a mandate. So just incredible. Jesus is so good. And he is the reason why I'm healed the way that I am. And I'm going to be healing until the day I die. You know, listening to your story, I mean, we're hearing more and more about sex trafficking, you know, here in Canada, in the United States, um, the tourist sex trafficking, um, all of that. What would you suggest that we do to help if it's on somebody's heart to try to do something to change? I would definitely, you know, go boots on the ground, study what's in your area. So make sure if you're going to do this type of work, connect with the local groups that are already doing it. And please connect with local survivor groups, too. If a group is doing this without any survivor input, I I have a hard time believing that they're really survivor victim-centered. We need to make sure that the, the needs are being met of the survivors. And then also, what need is not being met? Figure out in your community what need is not being met. Be that need. 
Be that vein that's not being fed the right information and the right follow-through. Because I, what I find is a lot of people are doing education. Some people, not a lot, are doing housing. Some people are doing advocacy. They're doing coming alongside doing case management. I see a lot of missing areas, and what I see is there's a lot of men that are not being encouraged not to purchase women and girls and women on the other end as well because there's women that do it as well. We need the entire communities to be involved and to, you know, make a, a banner that states, I will not buy any human being. Human trafficking or say slave sex trafficking. I will not purchase just because I'm having a weak moment in my myself. I am not going to exploit other human beings. I refuse to be part of that. And I think that that is something that is going to help this culture change that needs to desperately happen with our society as a whole. And we have to stand up to Hollywood because let me tell you something. Hollywood, okay, a lot of the reason why women are in the positions they are and young ladies and even young boys and, and the, the bisexual community and the LGBT community is because Hollywood glamorizes sexuality so much where it can be bought and sold now. And it's really, really unhealthy for our culture as a whole. It's unhealthy for the family unit. And the last thing I'd like to say is that our family units need to be back to where they used to be before all this was happening. Not that it was never happening before, but I think uh, families are more broken up than ever. And if, if, if children are not raised with healthy family figures, you know, a healthy father, a healthy mother, or their caregivers, this is where we go astray. And they're not strong enough to say no to being exploited. The vulnerabilities are their main mantra on their heart. And the traffickers, they see that and they exploit that. They exploit that insecurity. They don't know who they are. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't know who they believe in. They don't know if they believe in God, if they're whatever. If we don't get that handled, this is just going to continue to go out of, out of, I mean, out of control like it is. So I have a lot of views, you guys. I could stay on the phone with you for hours, actually. <laughs> I know. So I feel we like could do let's another have phone interview. <laughs> Hang out. We're going to Vegas, so. <laughs> yeah, I come wish. to Vegas. Come visit. Come visit our house. Come be, meet the girls. This is something that will have to happen. Yeah. You can grab her book on Amazon. It is Fallon. Uh, jump online to hookersforjesus.net. Any little bear on Twitter and Instagram, at hookersforjesus Yay. on Twitter and Instagram. And, and Facebook, too. Oh, and, oh, Facebook and Facebook and Pinterest <laughs> and <laughs> Snapchat. We appreciate you taking a minute and uh, us finally being able to do this. And it was well worth the wait. And thank you very much. You're welcome, you guys. Have a wonderful day. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for tuning in to an old episode, a past guest of our Why Me Project rerun. Something that we're starting now because there are so many episodes that we really did love. And they've kind of disappeared from the digital world. And speaking of digital world, I did a little recon. There are at least nine different platforms in which you can listen to the Why Me Project podcast. Okay. So there's no excuses. But, I mean, some of the main ones like Apple Podcast and or Spotify. And you can always head to our social media accounts to stay up to date as each and every Wednesday we have a brand new episode for Why Me Project. And you can also let us know if there's someone that you would like to hear on a future episode. At Why Me Project on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Why Me Project at Outlook.com. And of course, as always, FaithStrongToday.com. <laughs>